Hello, I'm April Jones, and we at Jones Law Firm care about you, your family, and your well-being. That's why we've put together this informative webinar series to answer your questions about life, about the law, about your family. So thank you for joining us, and let's get started. everybody it's 12 30 let's go ahead and get started welcome to jones law firm pc's webinar series covid19 your family your finances and your future today we are bringing you the experts on divorce jones law firm pc and the jones law firm pc team so as you know i'm april jones i've been an attorney 29 years we've had jones law firm in colorado 20 years and we do family law exclusively and with me um, is the amazing Jones Law Firm divorce team, family law team, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. And then we are going to get started in a different kind of uh, setup today. We're going to just take your divorce questions kind of like a round table, just answer them and just see, see what that's like. See if we can um, get you the answers you need by just jumping in and hitting um, a bunch of questions at once. So these are, we have a, a lot of short questions. So we're going to see if we can just get you a lot of information. Patrick. Uh, I'm uh, Patrick Barkman. I wasn't born in Colorado, but I got here as fast as I could. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been an attorney for 22 years. Uh, I'm admitted in Colorado, Texas, and the Cherokee Nation. Uh, primarily did family, I've done family law, uh, criminal defense, and consumer bankruptcy. David. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. My name is David Collins. I've been an attorney for 16 years. I have a background in criminal prosecution, immigration defense, and family law. And I specialize in divorce, parental responsibilities, and adoption. Erin, Erin Young. Yes, good afternoon, everybody. Um, much like David, I've also been an attorney for 16 years. Um, I've been doing family law almost exclusively for the past approximately five. And prior to that, I did civil litigation and um, I was also a criminal prosecutor. All right. So what I want to do today, you guys kind of get what I want to do. I just want to kind of jump right in, kind of simulate a team meeting almost. You know how we just all, um, if we can figure out how to do it without talking over each other, because I think we do that a lot in the team meetings too. Uh, but just a lot of information to go through quickly. So sound good? Yes. Okay. Yep. All righty. What is a no-fault divorce? And let's go uh, clockwise. Erin. Well, I mean, the reality is, is that Colorado is a no-fault state. So there is no fault in divorce in Colorado. So it kind of doesn't matter, you know, what your spouse has done um, in terms of the division of assets. Now, of course, there's different elements that'll be considered when we're talking parenting time, decision-making, all that when children are involved. But in terms of a pure divorce, division of assets and debts, um, it means that the party's actions are not considered in making those decisions. What is an uncontested divorce, David? An uncontested divorce is a divorce in which uh, the parties are uh, not disputing uh, the filing of the petition, so they're both going to agree that the marriage is irretrievably broken. It doesn't mean that the parties are going to agree on everything. There, there are a lot of issues to resolve in a divorce, 
So you may agree to split the equity in the house, but you may not agree on how to divide your marital property or some of the things that are important to you. And you also may not agree or may agree on, uh, on how to allocate parenting time and decision-making for children uh, if you have children as a result of the marriage. But to be truly uncontested, you have to agree on every single thing or they'll send you back home, right? That's right. And so, I, and I apologize. So yeah, I mean, the main point is it's, it's pretty rare to get an uncontested divorce unless the parties are going to stipulate and agree on every aspect of the divorce. And in divorce, that means dividing all your assets and debts. And if you have children, uh, resolving child support, parenting time, and decision-making for those children. And maintenance, if that comes up in the marriage as well, if, if one party should pay the other maintenance for some period of time. What are the procedures for getting a divorce in Colorado? I think that's a little broad. Let's skip to how much does it cost to get a divorce? Uh, okay, you want, you want me to handle that? Okay, well, it, unfortunately, it's the, the, the annoying lawyer answer. Wait, we'll, wait, wait, we'll all say the annoying lawyer answer together on the count of three. One, two, three. It, it depends. <laughs> right. So, if you have an agreement with your spouse on all or most of the issues, that's obviously not as expensive because lawyers charge for their time. So, and most of what we do is outside of court, probably 90, 95% of what we do on a case occurs outside of the courtroom in terms of preparing documents and filing them and reviewing them. So if you've agreed on all or most of it, that keeps your costs down. Uh, that's not saying that you should, give up claims that you have, but if you and your spouse are able to work things out and approach it, we can file as a co-petitioner uh, and that, that that keeps your costs down. If it becomes a, uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff to fight about. For example, if you have a big marital estate, there are a lot of assets. Some of them are assets that were acquired before the marriage, so we got to figure out what what is their value relative to the marital estate, or there's a dispute over whether or not it's marital property. That takes more time, that makes it more expensive. If we're fighting over the children, who, who are they gonna live with most of, their, most of the time? Well, what's the uh, parenting time situation gonna be for the other spouse? Uh, do we agree on what both spouses' incomes are so we can calculate child support? If that's an issue, then that becomes more expensive. It may require uh, hiring experts. So in, uh, in a dispute over who has primary custody of a kid, you might have what's called a CFI, which is a child family investigator that would prepare, would interview the parents and the children and their secondary contacts like family members and friends and prepare a report to the court. Uh, that's a cost that you have to factor in. If there's, uh, you can also have a, uh, what's called a PRE, which is a parental rights evaluator that has more power and uh, more things in their toolbox that they can do to prepare their uh, report for the court, that might be an expense. Um, if there's a dispute over property, we might have to hire a, an expert to go through bank accounts for us, for example, uh, and that adds into a, to an expense. So the short answer is the more you and your spouse can agree on, the more you can keep the costs down. But if you can't reach an agreement, you can't reach an agreement, and that's what you've got us for. How do I file for divorce? You get a, your paperwork, you fill it out, and you file it with the court. You file a summons and petition with the court. Um, if you are in agreement, you both can sil sign the petition as a petitioner and a co-petitioner, and then you file that with the court. But that's how you file for divorce. You actually file the paperwork with the court. 
to start the process. Do I need an attorney to get a divorce, David? No, of course not. Uh, the truth is uh, the vast majority of divorces are filed in Colorado pro se by people who do not hire an attorney for a variety of reasons. However, many people do hire an attorney because of the complex uh, legal processes involved, and particularly if the parties are in dispute about something and just want the experience and guidance of an attorney uh, to help them understand you know, the scope of parenting rights and parenting time and decision-making. So no, I think most uh, judges would tell you that a lot of their docket is pro se parties, but I think a lot of judges would also tell you it's helpful to have an attorney on the case to help people understand the process, the timing and the sequence of events that occurs uh, with any divorce. How long does it take to get a divorce, Aaron? Well, again, that's one of those annoying lawyer answers where it depends. Um, I mean, I mean, there's a required period, so you cannot get divorced until the 91st day after filing, um, or actually after serving the other party. So that's the date you're working with, is it's at least a three-month period. However, of course, you know, we've got some, some issues going on with the pandemic, and courts have had to be closed for two months. So you can still get your divorce in that three months if you guys are able to reach an agreement on all the terms. Um, I would say it would probably be difficult to get your divorce in three months if you're requiring a hearing. Um, so again, it depends. Even without the pandemic, if you need to have a hearing, I would say it often does not happen that your hearing is within three months of first filing for divorce. So it, it just depends on how contentious it is, how many experts need to be involved, um, you know, all the kinds of things that make it depend on how much a divorce costs also contribute to how long it takes to get a divorce. What's the soonest you can get a divorce, David? 91 days. Uh, and so, and that would really occur almost exclusively in an uncontested divorce where the parties are agreeing on everything and don't have to do some of the procedural requirements that come with divorce. And just for an example, and, and to say why 91 days is really not that realistic, uh, if you file a petition for a divorce today, you have to serve the other party. Once the case begins, the court's going to schedule a status conference with you, which you must attend, which may not occur for 30 to 45 days after you file it or longer, depending on the court schedule. The main barrier is that you have to attend mediation. You have to schedule that, attend it, and submit proof of that to the court uh, before the court will entertain having a final hearing or entering a decree. If, a part, if the parties file a joint petition and it is uncontested and they're resolving all issues, a court could grant a petition close after the 91st day, uh, but that's not realistic in most cases. It would be closer to six months uh, on a case where there are some issues to resolve, but maybe not a full-blown contested hearing. The thing I like about when people come in and they want to get divorced as soon as possible and you say, okay, if you really want to get divorced in 91 days, You've got to fill out your financial affidavit. We need to do a joint uh, petition. We need to get all the paperwork in, done, covered, doing a case management order. Uh, the stipulation, what's the stipulation called when you don't go to the case management order? Go to the case, when you don't go to the case management conference because you did a joint stipulation? A stipulated case management order. So you do a stipulated case management order and you basically just have a package. So you can do this where someone, I've even had people, we prepare everything before they even file. So we just file the whole party. So it really is a matter of 
waiting 91 days, calling the clerk and saying, hey, we filed everything. Can we get it signed? Can we get it signed? Can we get it signed? Get it signed and they get divorced. That doesn't happen um, often, but when people want it to happen, they can make it happen. So there's that. Getting back to the issue of whether of how long it takes and whether or not you can do it without a lawyer. I used to tell people, if you don't have any kids and you don't have any real property uh, and you haven't been married that long, you probably can do it on your, do it on your own. There are forms available. If it's more complex than that, if there's real property involved, if there's retirement accounts involved, especially if you have kids, you want to at least talk to a lawyer. And like April said, there are things that we can do to help advise people to help them put their own divorce procedure together. But generally speaking, it's a lot cheaper to hire a lawyer upfront than it is to get to for it to be a couple of years after your divorce, you find out something was wrong and you need to hire us to come back and fix it because sometimes we can't fix it. Right. Or sometimes by the time you call us, even if it's during the case, you've already given up so much right. that getting it back, I call it, now we got to fight our way out of a paper bag. If right. you come to us initially, we could have gone in there and the things that we know we can do, we could uh, have possibly have taken care of things. Like one thing that I, th I think this is a good example, and you guys just kind of jump in. Um, the initial status conference. So you know how you could read the case management order and it'll tell you in the um, initial status conference, you're just gonna come to court, get your financials filed before, uh, make sure you take a parenting class. And then when you get there, things can happen such that the court is issuing orders. So you're not gonna necessarily know that from reading the case management order that you could show up in court and if you're in front of the judge say, your honor, I haven't had my child, they stole, they took the child from me and I haven't had my child for two weeks and the other person had never had them a day before then. And the court can make orders or they can make financial orders. Um, you guys want to jump in on that? Yeah, that's how case management orders, can, case management hearings can take on a life of their own that people aren't expecting. Right. And, and, I, and I've had that happen even in cases where I'm appearing as the attorney. Uh, there's no indication that there's that something's going to happen and we end up having a full blown hearing uh, just at the ISC. So, I mean, again, if you've got a complete agreement with your spouse, that's great. But a lot of times people will tell me, oh, well, he or she has agreed to all of this. But have they really, right? You may think you have an agreement, but it's only agreement if both sides agree. So if you show up and a scenario like April outlined where one side saying that they haven't got to see their kids, or let's say one side says, I need one, he's got three cars, I need one of them so I can drive to work or I need spousal maintenance on a temporary basis because I don't have any income because I was a stay-at-home mom or something like that. Right, you he can said hurt. he's not gonna give me another dime or let me right. see the kid, Your Honor. Right, so you don't wanna be the guy standing there thinking there wasn't a fight and suddenly there's a fight. Right, you wanna be prepared um, and that's why you need a good team around you. And another good rule of thumb if the other side has a lawyer, you need a lawyer. You need a lawyer. What about when the lawyer, other lawyer is just real nice to you, Aaron? <laughs> Especially <laughs> if, if you're representing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Be aware. Yeah. You flies with honey. <laughs> right. Anything you want to add, David? Yeah, I would just uh, agree that um, if your spouse or the 
parent of your child has a lawyer and they're nice, that's great. Um, more courteous lawyers are welcome in this world, um, but it doesn't mean they're on your side and it certainly doesn't mean they're doing you any favors. Um, and so they'll be as nice to you as they can, but their, their job is to advocate for their client and not for you. Yes. I'll speak up about that personally. I hate, I mean, I typically try to be as kind as possible to people representing themselves, but my job is to represent my client. And so although I am trying to be, you know, kind and respectful, that does not mean that I am trying to represent the other party or give them advice that may help them. Right. And one of the things we hear a lot when clients are hiring us on modifications, they'll say, oh, well, we got divorced, but we had the same lawyer. Uh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. One of you had the one of you had a lawyer, and the other one did not. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay, let's jump in. Let's pick a question, and we can all jump in on another one. Um, how do courts divide property in a divorce in Colorado? And how will our property be divided? I'll just start off by saying Colorado is an equity state, not a community property state, which means the court can do what's fair. Right, yeah, and that, that's, that's an excellent point. And that was one of the things that I had to uh, readjust my mind to because I started out in Texas. Texas is a community property state. So the division of property is almost a foregone conclusion if you're getting divorced there. Uh, that being said, Colorado tends to be a 50-50 state, yeah. but there are circumstances under which it would be awarded differently. Like, for example, you have one spouse that never worked during the marriage, doesn't have any assets in their own name, um, uh, doesn't have a, a lot of employment prospects or things like that. Uh, then the court might be more sympathetic to awarding more property to that spouse. Uh, if there's a history of domestic violence, um, things like that the court may say that, well, under the circumstances, the victim of the domestic violence may, uh, may be entitled to more in the property division. I mean, again, it's one of those, it depends answers, but uh, in a normal divorce, it's gonna be divided 50-50. And one of the things you also have to take in consideration is when we say assets, we're talking about stuff and debts. So you'll have a spreadsheet that we actually prepare that'll have the assets of the marriage that were accumulated during the marriage and the debts that were accumulated during the marriage. And the goal is at the bottom of the page, they more or less equal out unless there's some special circumstances where we could argue to the court that you should be awarded more than half or we're trying to defend against the other side uh, saying they should be awarded more than half. I had a case once where the wife wanted to argue that the husband should be awarded less than half and they were married like 30 years right so we ended up bringing because she said he didn't have he didn't really con contribute because she worked and then came home and cooked and cleaned and all he did was work so we brought in neighbors to say how they saw him mowing the lawn and washing the cars it was a little uh reality tv showy but um that's what happens when when you want to try to argue what's called contributions when the court can look at what's fair. And, and that the judge did 50-50, but it was an argument that the other side can make and she was just particularly um, angry and hurt and, and wanted to, to force him to have to bring in his friends and neighbors to, uh, to claim otherwise. What do you wanna add, David? Uh, so I agree with all of that. Um, I would just bring up that debts are just as important as assets in the division. And that, you know, a lot of our clients end up having 
you know, five or 10 credit cards between the two parties. Generally, if the debt was accrued during the marriage, it's divisible. An example of where I've succeeded in showing a debt is not divisible. My favorite example is the Ross discount store credit card, where the my representative, the husband, the wife wanted him to take on 5000 of a $10,000 debt from Ross. We were able to use a legal maneuver of discovery to get records from her purchases for two years. And it was two years of purchases for women's clothing. And so the court decided he wasn't going to shoulder half of that debt because the purchases were not for the household. So the message there is that debt that's accrued for the advancement of the household is generally going to be considered marital debt. Um, but if you can show that someone acquired debt specifically for their own benefit and not for the household, you may be able to argue that it's not marital debt. And, you know, there's a, the, another thing to think about with property is property is not necessarily always just the big expensive items like a house or a car or a retirement account. There can also be stuff that uh, has a big sentimental value that people will fight over. It may not be worth that much. The example that I've used for decades since it first happened was I had a party that was fighting over Elvis Presley Memorial Salt and Pepper Shakers that they got at Graceland on their honeymoon. And they were both bound and determined that they were going to get those salt and pepper shakers. And this is back in the days when you couldn't just buy it off of eBay. You had to go there and get it. So if it's something that means a lot to you, that might be something to take in consideration. It right. might not it might not be worth that much, but it has strong symbolic value for you. Well, one thing in terms of property that I find myself saying a lot over the years, and I, I have pets, I've had lots of pets, I love my pets, and I still have to tell my clients, you know, your, your cat is like a couch. Your dog is like a couch. It's property. To the core, it's property. And so you, if you want to have sentimental decisions made, then the two of you need to get together and make those decisions yourself because I've, I've seen the court call uh, the bailiff for a coin, flip a coin. <laughs> and then you see people start, you know, trying to work right. things out because they, they love the dog and want to share when they couldn't have thought of that on their own. Erin, anything you want to add? Well, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think, I think we talked about the fact that we're not a community property state, that, there, that we're an equity state, but I'm not sure that we explained exactly what that means. Because oftentimes most married couples, or I shouldn't say most, oftentimes married couples, their property has, it's, it's all been accrued during the marriage. Sure. You bought your house together, you accrued your debt together, you, your cars have all been purchased during the marriage. So it is just kind of dividing what's out there. However, you know, when people come into a marriage with significant assets, which often happens, um, then it's a little bit of a different situation because then we're kind of dividing the marital portion of property versus the, sep the separate property. Um, so for instance, if somebody comes into a marriage with a house, that is their separate property. However, the marital portion is the increase in value during the marriage. So in order to determine that, you often need a dual date appraisal. You'll need a, an appraisal from the date of marriage, and then you'll need an appraisal from today. And that's how you determine that. So that's just an example with a house. But I mean, it's the same thing when you come into a marriage with an existing 401k or with a car um, that is yours, but to the extent it has increased in value, that is marital. And we all need to be aware of that. Yeah, that's very important. You know, people come to see us and, and how many times do we get somebody who's like, this is mine. This is yep. my pension. It's right here. It's in my hot little hands. 
I'm the fireman who rushes into the fire. I'm the football player who takes the hits. Mine, mine, all mine. And, and also they always want to say it's in my name. They think that it's, right. it's their name, that it is solely theirs. And that is also not the case. <laughs> Anything you want to add, David? Yeah, I would just add that um, even though the, the parties have multiple assets to which they may have equal right, the parties can agree that one, you, the wife may get more from the house, but less from the husband's retirement. The court is, is really interested in the word we keep using, which is equity. So as long as each party ends up with their fair share of value, the parties can actually negotiate how they divide that in a way that serves both parties. And the, I bring that up because a lot of parties want to maintain the marital home so that the children don't have to move to a new house. They're obviously going to move to one new house because one of the parents is moving out. But if they can reach a deal where you know, one parent will keep the marital house and in exchange, they won't take their share of someone's retirement or some other asset, you can reach that agreement and, and come to a resolution that way. Hey, uh, April, there's a question that just came in that's, that's uh, uh, very, uh, it's time with that. It says, what about a business formed during the marriage, built together, but only titled in one spouse's sole ownership? Doesn't matter how it's titled. Exactly. What is your opinion, Aaron? Exactly the same. That's a hundred percent marital property. David needs to be divided I, equitably. I agree. And often in these cases, we'll hire an expert to do a business valuation uh, because a, a business may make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but maybe only worth $30,000. That's why you need an expert to tell you, you know, what is the business worth? Cause then divide that in two. And that's what each party's share of that is. Right. Anything you want to add, Patrick? No, I, I think that's a, that's absolutely correct. And that's that's definitely a scenario where you're going to need a lawyer. Right. So it doesn't matter property that's acquired during marriage. It doesn't matter how it's titled. Right. Um, if it was, if you acquired it with joint funds or you thought of it together, like it sounds like with this business, you thought of it together. It's your baby. It's you guys' baby. It doesn't matter how it's titled for the purposes of the divorce court. The divorce court will divide it the way we've been talking about here today. And that's the thing that people use. I mean, guys, you know, weigh in on this. People uh, will get, use that as a club. Business, my name, my business. Like, right. No, no, no. Right. And some things are just not intuitive. And the way you run your relationship in your marriage, um, you know, what's mine and what's yours. I mean, that might be, might work during your marriage, but that the divorce court isn't following those rules unless you have a, uh, a prenup or some, a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement. And both of those documents allow you to opt out of what the law would do if that's what you choose. Um, and we, and we do those too. And if you are, if you're planning on getting married and you do have a, a business and some significant business interests or a lot of property, that's something you might want to consider. I mean, it's not, it's not a dirty word to say you need a prenuptial. You're just protecting your, legal rights going into the relationship. And we can advise you on that, help you draw one up. Even if you're already married, Colorado law allows you to do what's called a postnuptial agreement uh, between the parties. It, there's a lot of procedure that you have to follow to do it, but you can make an agreement between the parties saying, in the event of divorce, this goes to me, this goes to you, this is going to be my sole property and so forth. And I've actually seen people use those to, to save their marriage. Let's say your ex has what, like a gambling habit and you don't want to be responsible, but you do want to stay with them while they try to work it out. Or if 
someone has an inheritance that might grow and it just eats them up inside to share, they can, you can just draft a document around it that says, okay, fine. You don't share it. You can now stay together and live out the rest of your lives and the other person doesn't have to live in fear that they're going to lose, you know, what they got from grandpa. Like things affect people emotionally. And the good thing about coming to a lawyer, if you can let us know what the buttons are, we can draft documents around it and you don't just have to just, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater or just rip things off, um, you know, just rip off band-aids. We can make it so that you, everybody can get a good, decent portion of what they, what they want. What do you think, Erin? No, I mean, I think that that's 100% accurate. I've had clients that, you know, they, they thought they might want a divorce then they decided to reconcile and, but as a process of reconciliation, it's helpful to, to reconcile knowing what will happen if the reconciliation doesn't work. Right. So I've had that happen too. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when people can let go of the fear, then they're freer to just like love and do and be. And you can do your prenups in a way, even your initial prenup where you are, only addressing the issue that's your burning issue, which would be, I had this business since I was in college, I built the whole thing. I don't want you to take this business, but I do want everything, every dime we make in every other context to be marital, right? Or sometimes people say, I wanna preserve what I have, but everything else can be joint. So you can write these in a way that really, really uh, helps you and your family and get you what you need. It doesn't have to be like in the movies, you know, the baseball player who writes it where he gets everything and the girl gets nothing and, and then you're miserable. You can just really maybe just dial in and protect the thing that you're worried about. David, what do you think? You do lots of prenups. Uh, well, I think that's right. I mean, I think uh, since we're on the subject, I'll just say that to, to execute a prenup, the parties have to engage in a comprehensive set of financial disclosures to each other. So you really have to disclose all of your assets to each other in order to arrive at what is going to be considered a separate asset and remain a separate asset uh, during the marriage. Um, but, and I agree with everything else y'all have said as well. April, I got a, there's another question that just came in that's really timely. Uh, how is common law marriage defined in Colorado? Which is funny because we have several common law marriage cases right now. Mm -hmm. uh, do both parties have to agree the relationship was like a marriage in order to determine common law marriage? Example, uh, we lived together as married, didn't file taxes together, no joint financial accounts, but raised children and presented to the community as a family. Well, that has lots in it. So, and we'll all jump in because we like to do this in a team meeting because the thing about common law marriage, it depends on the facts and it depends on how things are being interpreted. So, for to be common law married, you need to hold yourself out to your community as married. And in the question, they're saying that they held themselves out as a family that's not the same thing. But then you did say, I believe in the question that they held themselves out as married. Uh, yes. Lived together as married, didn't file taxes together. Well, I don't know. They just said lived together as married. So, so it, it depends on what as married means. If you right. tell people that you're married or you let people assume you're married and you don't correct them, you see that a lot. So by the time you get you know, you're, and if you have kids, by the time they get out of elementary school, everybody's calling you husband and wife and, and you're just, you're just going along with it. Kind of like when someone calls you by the wrong name, you don't correct them. Right. Yeah. Uh, but 
Um, so that's one of the things. The statute does talk about, did you file taxes together? Did you have bank accounts together? Um, what type of legal, did you, were you on each other's health insurance? And those are certainly um, indicators. But you could not file taxes. You could file, I had a case where they filed taxes together and the court concluded that they defrauded the IRS. They were, you're not married. Right. <laughs> you're you're right. a criminal. So it depends. But Aaron, what do you think? No, I mean, I agree with everything that you guys have said. Common law marriage is one of those that, it's another one, but kind of an annoying lawyer answer. It depends. And the evidence is different in every single case. Um, there are some cases where it seems abundantly clear. You know, you've been in a relationship for 20 years. You've called each other husband and wife the entire time. There, You both wear rings. You file taxes together. You you know, those kinds of things. The, I mean, essentially, the more evidence you have, the better. It doesn't mean that the court wouldn't find you to be married with less evidence, but I would say that the primary factor is what the people around you believe of your relationship. Right. And old case law talks about people living together, but we all know these days that that's not an indicator of whether or not you're married. So um, one thing you get... What about when people, David, they come in and they tell you um, that they think they're married and that they got engaged? So uh, being engaged definitely does not make you married. Um, it makes you not I, married, right? If you're engaged. Yeah. You're, it's actually yes, a clear indication that you're, that you're not yeah. married. Uh, and I'll just add that having children has is really doesn't mean you're married at all either. It's not a factor the court considers. I think uh, Aaron and Patrick are right in a hearing on whether you're common law married, it's going to be an accumulation of evidence one way or the other that, that indicates you did or didn't hold yourself out to the community as married. Um, and so you'll need that. But one thing to note is if, if someone files a petition for divorce against you and you were never legally married, you can ask the court to hold a preliminary hearing on the issue of whether you're married right. before you have to go through with the whole divorce. Uh, which is really helpful because divorces are can be time consuming and costly. Um, so the court, if you raise it, will address that issue first, hold a hearing, determine if you're married, and if you're not, they will dismiss the petition for a divorce against you. And the the question the the questioner kind of clarified it a little bit. He said, "Thank you. We wore rings, and people thought we were married. Oh. Same sex couple, so people thought we were." So yeah, that's that's a good example of the kind of evidence that would be put in on a common law marriage that. If you're we if you're both wearing rings, you're presenting yourself to the community as a, a as a as a married couple. So that could be used as evidence to establish the existence of common law marriage. And I think, and uh, David or April or Aaron, tell me if I'm wrong. In Colorado, it could be considered a same-sex common law marriage even if the start date was pre-Obergefell, right? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um. I, I think that's I think that's correct. A Burgerfell is the Supreme Court case that legalized same uh, same sex marriage in all fifty states. Uh, just for the right. audience's benefit, I have had that, a judge actually hold that. So I mean, in their particular case, it, it's I'm thinking of. There still had to be a hearing as to whether or not there was a common law marriage, but the fact that it was a same sex couple was not the the holdup in that case, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, but I do believe the person who was writing in 
you know, they're saying that people believe them to be married. And as April said, that's really important. But, you know, I guess I would still be most interested in what, what did you tell people? Did you call this person your wife? You know, do you have emails, text messages to other people saying, hey, I just need to talk to my spouse real quick or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the were, thing you, were you Facebook you official? Basis. What? Were you, were you Facebook official? Right, exactly. Did you update your status? <laughs> right. Huh. Yeah, I would ask people, what did the pediatrician think? What did your doctor, what do your, what yeah. your co-workers think? Um, so that, that would be a question for you guys, for the uh, couple that wore rings. What did people think? I uh, once had one and I brought the pastor uncle in to talk about Thanksgiving and, how, and what they thought the uh, couple was during Thanksgiving dinner. And he actually ended up saying, couples these days, who knows what they are? And I said, thank you, sir. Um, You're a witness. <laughs> that's right. At the same time thinking, really? Really? But yeah, that's what common law marriage hearings can be. They can be messy. Right, because yeah. it's never, it, it's always something bad is happening when you're having to argue about whether or not you're a common law marriage. Either somebody's passed away and you're disposing of their estate or the party split up or something like that. It's, it's usually true. not a, yeah, it's usually not a happy circumstance when you discover your, when you establish a common law marriage. Right, one person says they are and the other person says they aren't. Right. I had a couple where I did their custody case and the client who came to me, the guy after there had been a determination of a marriage. The whole entire years that we fought over this kid, he stayed angry that the ex tricked him and the court into believing they were common law married. So he would always say, I had to give you half of my house. And she'd be like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, wow, you really did that to each other. So it can work, you know, the other way. Like you can get hit and bit. So be careful out there. Right. There's a there's another question about a follow up question about businesses. Do we want to do that one? Sure. Is this the same a follow up to the question we about yes. um, the couple that had a business together that was only in one name? Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, sure. The person asks uh, follow up to first question. If neither party wants to be bought out of the business, mm -hmm. what might the options be? Perhaps continuing to split profits moving forward. Mm -hmm. uh, is there any way around a buyout? Yeah. Aaron, yeah. See you nodding. Yeah, no, the answer is yes. Um, I mean, honestly, courts, from my experience, they are very open to creative arrangements if, if it means that the parties can work it out between themselves. Um, and they will, they will tell every, almost every couple I've ever had in front of a judge, before we go to hearing, we'll advise both parties, you guys are probably better able to reach an agreement that makes sense to you than I am by listening to your testimony for an hour, two hours, four hours, whatever it may be. And so they are very encouraging of that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, is that oftentimes most couples don't want to be tied together financially for the future. And that would really be for, I mean, the foreseeable future, there wouldn't necessarily be an end in sight. So, but if that feels good and comfortable to you guys, then that is definitely an option. I would suggest language in your agreement that allows you to have a change of heart down the road or that you say okay if we get to a point where we don't want to do this together this these are the steps that we will take that will save you from having to go back to court when somebody decides they don't want to do it 
this way anymore because you already have this process in place and you can make it you if you need the business to be together for a period of time to get your money out of it you can say you know after this amount of time or before this thing or if then then that that's where you get a lawyer that's when you finesse it you, what you don't want to do in the, that situation is just sign that we are going to have this business together because you are likely not going to want to be together forever in that capacity. David, what do you think? I agree. I, we often have clients ask us, can we still co-own the house together so that, you know, for a variety of reasons? And the question is, you know, how well do you get along? Right. Um, are you really going <laughs> to want to be involved in a mutual investment? Right. Um, a lot of the folks that hire us are not getting along. That's part of why they're hiring us. So we rarely recommend that they stay invested in the same business or property or asset of any kind because they need to disentangle and, and move on with their lives. But if you want to stay together or stay in a business or keep your house together or keep the car together, some people even get divorced and continue to live in the same home yep. um, and never even effectuate a lot of what's in the court orders. And yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, if I can add to that, I had a client who the husband and wife had a mutual house together. They got divorced, but they agreed to not sell the house for four years. And they both, during those four years, the house gained a massive amount of equity. And so they both benefited from sitting on the house and keeping it as a mm -hmm. joint asset until it was during the recession. So the market had crashed um, and then the, the recovery came, the house regained its value. Then they sold it and divided it. Yeah. So if you can be that cooperative, um, it can really pay off. Some people share, what about the people, this is not the topic today, that this is a custody topic, but I do just want to say, some people stay in the house and do what's called nesting, oh, where yeah, yeah. The, ch the children stay in their rooms and live in the home, and then the parents move in and out on their parenting time. Uh, I met someone who'd done that for her entire, like, 15 years of being divorced and she said they were wonderful friends and the kids were happy and it worked. Right. Yeah. Ju judges are, if you come up with an agreement that makes the two parties happy, the judge is happy too. I had a couple that uh, uh, during the divorce, they bought houses that backed up to each other. They knocked down the intervening fence and the kid literally ran back and forth wow. between the houses. No judge would have ever ordered that but it worked out for them and the judge was happy to sign off on it. And so that's where we come in. We can help you come up with things like that, things that work for you, work for your family, and you don't have to do the cookie cutter thing if you've got other if, if interests and issues that you want to protect and address. Any kind of sign off you wanna say, Erin, to, to folks thinking about divorce and having divorce questions? Um, no, other than that, I think, you know, if, you, if you're uncomfortable with the current situation that you're in um, surrounding either, you know, allocation of parental responsibilities or divorce, then I would recommend you call in and talk to one of our intake specialists and, you know, they can give you a better idea of your options in working with us. And if it's, if it's not something you want to pursue, then you don't have to pursue it. But if you have kind of that nagging doubt of I'm uncomfortable that I know, you know, what's, what's supposed to happen here, then, you know, you may want to at least check out your options um, and see if there's somebody and see if we can help you. Thanks, David. Yeah, I don't think I have more to add to that. 
Thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would just I would just add sometimes people feel guilty or they feel reluctant to talk to a family attorney because they think, oh, okay, well, this means that's it. It's done. And that's not necessarily the case. We may give you advice. We may be able to do something for you like a postnuptial agreement. And sometimes you file for divorce and, it wor and you work things out. And in that case, you just come and tell us and we'll dismiss it. Yep. We're perfectly happy to do that. We want to help you. So we're not going to like shove you to get divorced or, or force you to get divorced if you don't want to. We're here to give you advice. Yep. So that's exactly right. Um, you know, we believe in marriage. We believe in happy marriages. We believe in um, helping people who've got unhappy situations. So you won't get pressured to do one thing or the other here. You will be advised on what your choices are. Um, now, sometimes clients will want to just like give up everything. And I, what I will say, it's your case. We will do what you want. I work for you. You tell me three times. Right. You tell me three times that that's what you want to do, no matter what. Um, then we'll do it. So, well, thank you. Thank you, team. Thank you for um, being on and answering questions. We are Jones Law Firm PC. You can find us at DenverDivorceAttorneys.com. And um, thank you for attending our webinar. We on Monday, we will all be back, or everyone who's available on Monday, we will be back to answer your questions on modification of orders. I didn't ask Erin if she's available. Do you know if you're available to join us to talk about modification on Monday? I am actually not. I have a mediation at 1130 that's scheduled to last for three hours. I started to remember that when I was like, and Erin will be here too. So <laughs> uh, Patrick, David, and I will um, take up the torch and answer your questions on modification on Monday. So. This Monday only is what, Patrick? Modification, uh, modification Monday. Monday. Modification Monday. 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 Okay, We're trying so to find something that, that that starts with every day of the week. So, so yeah, we, so far we got Modification Monday. All right, thank you. Um, and we will talk to you soon. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us for this webinar. If you or someone you know would benefit from watching a recording of this webinar or any of our other webinars, they can be found at denverdivorceattorneys.com. Thank you and keep a lookout for future live webinars and I hope to see you again.